This show is sponsored by Luna Sushi, Ho Chi Minh City's number one sushi delivery restaurant. Incredible. I actually live above the restaurant. They deliver to all districts, and I've got to tell you, the food is excellent. It's as good a quality of sushi as anything I've had in the States or here in Ho Chi Minh City. The menu's vast. It's delicious. Luna Sushi. Lunasushi.com. You are listening to Citizen 44 with Mark Ahrensberg, live from Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. Hey, Dad. Hey, what? What do you mean, hey, what? Hey, I'm calling you on the phone. I know you are. Okay. How you doing? I'm doing good. Good. Just watching the news. I don't even want to know. No. You haven't spoken for a while on the show. You're on the show, by the way. This is show number 89. And uh, I wanted to check in with you. You're you're over there alone in Encino with Gus, your dog. And uh, I haven't checked in yeah, to see. Yeah, well, I'm not alone. I got Gus. I know. Okay. I see a lot of people. Who are you seeing recently? Mom's girlfriends have lunch every Tuesday. They want me to go. Yeah. So I've been having lunch with them. And uh, Rachel was here yesterday, and uh, we went and had breakfast. Then she came here and helped me with my computer and a bunch of stuff that had to be done. Yeah. Last week, went down the marina and had breakfast with Rachel Haley. So, you know, I'm not stuck in the house. Like, a lot of my friends, they won't leave their house. I can't do that. Right. Do you wear a mask when you go out? Of course. Absolutely. Okay. Not while I'm eating. Duh. Of course, you're not wearing a mask while you're eating. Have you ever seen anybody with a mask on with a straw going through a hole? No. Okay. Well, I haven't either. It seems kind of stupid. (laughs) Why they have it? I don't know. That mental picture popped into my head. Oh, yeah. Somebody else said something about that a couple times. Really? Are you doing the Ralph's thing? Are you guys getting together in the mornings? Just Sandy. She's the only one who comes down? Well, Judy just had surgery. Yeah. Jay doesn't go there anymore. His wife retired. Or girlfriend, whatever the hell she is. Yeah. So he's with her all the time. And Javid doesn't go because he doesn't get along with a couple of people. That's all bullshit. Yeah. So Sandy and I meet. And that's it. No biggie. Don't miss any of them. Yeah. It is what it is for whoever it is. That's all. Right. Yeah. So everything's cool. I finally got my check. You got your supplemental income. Okay. Yeah. Nice. The day before yesterday. Oh, wow. You really just got it. Yes. Okay. And let's see. What else? Nothing. I mean, there's a young woman upstairs keeps coming down. She's probably 50-something. Oh, really? Nice looking, a nice woman. Not even interested. She comes over. I just talk to her. That's it. Yeah. I don't know what she wants, but that's all she's getting from me. How did you meet her? She watches Esther upstairs. She comes down whenever she's there. Yeah. And I just talk to her. Okay. I mean, she says she'd like to go out to dinner with me. Oh, I'm, really? Oh. I'm not ready. Ah, still sweet. Mom's girlfriend, who's much younger, I think she's 68, 69, whatever. She's going to the Caribbean. She wants me to go. Wow. I'm not going to go. <laughs> Look at you. Everybody's making passes at my dad. That's pretty funny. Uh, yeah, not interested. But I might go next few months when the coronavirus settles down or leaves with Rachel, Aaron, and Haley on a cruise. To? To the Caribbean. Oh, 
That sounds fun. Well, no, not really. Yeah. I'm not a cruise guy, but it sounds fun for you guys. Yeah. Last time I spoke to you, it was literally 117 degrees in Encino. It's going to be 92 today. Oh, well, that's a lot more comfortable than 117. But this morning when I went out for coffee, it was beautiful. It was 68 degrees. Oh, Okay. Everything's good. Okay. I thought of you yesterday afternoon because I rode behind two cars, one behind the other. Both licenses had 444 on them. Uh, what? Yeah. Different letters, but they both had 444. It's really weird. Wow. Yeah, it was kind of strange. Whenever I see license plates with 44, I think of you. It's, I mean, it's just a thing. I mean, just whatever. Yeah. You know how old Scotty was when he died? How old he was, did you say? Yeah. He was in his 40s. He was 44. Oh, was he? Yep, he sure was. He was a nice guy. He was a very nice guy. Yeah. But everything's good. Your kids look good. Yeah. Like I said, everything's good. I can't complain except I really miss your mom. Yeah. I have a lot of really bad days about that, but I'll live with it. Yeah. That's it. It's 10.10 in the morning right now, right? Uh... Probably. It is. It's 10.10 in the morning, and today is the show when it's going out October 10th, 2020. Oh. All right, Dad, I love you, and I, I appreciate you coming on the show and uh, being part of my life and uh, part of what I'm doing right here right now. I love you too, Mark. Show number 89 is going to start right now. Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44. This is show number 89. Today on the show we have Bishop Mayfield. Bishop is a friend from Southern Oregon, a musician, band leader, singer, super cool guy. I've known him for maybe 10 years. I've seen him perform many, many times. Great energy, really lucky to have him on the show. We're going to play a bunch of his music, too, so enjoy that. It's been a little while since I've actually had a show. 88, the double 44, seems like a month ago or so. And that was with Marla Estes and, of course, Harry Hobson from Downstairs. But uh, I've been a little busy with this and that and the other, and, uh, you know, it just took me some time to get this show dialed in the way I want it to, so it's good, and you enjoy it, and it's got what it wants to have and needs and, and things like that. My dad's on the show, which is really cool. I haven't spoken to him for a while. It's good to check in with him in Encino, California, see what's going on with him. I've also got Zoe, my daughter, on the show. She's back at OSU, Oregon State University, over there in Corvallis, Oregon. So we're going to check in with her, see how she's doing, talk about life and stuff and things. And uh, yeah, that's the show. So all's good here in Vietnam. Uh, coming up on, what, nine months? Got here January 12th, and it's now October 10th, 10-10-2020. So a couple days shy of nine months. That's the numbers, how they work with math and things like that. It's really good. It's all good, actually. I had a gig, had a full-time job, but that's turned into more of a consulting and a freelance gig. So good, still good, good, all good. All's good with Lean Ann and I. That's still going on. That started February 25th. So yeah, we've broken up about uh, 38 times, but 
I think we are uh, in this nice rhythm now of mutual appreciation and uh, and hopefully we can uh, stand the test of time. That's my goal. Stay the course. Yeah, raining a lot. Heavy rain a lot of the time. Actually, I think over the next 10 days, it's forecast for continuous rain. I went to District 2 to see Leanne and the family yesterday. Leanne and I were leaving to go to a grocery store to pick up some uh, bread and it was pouring out. So we pulled out and I pulled back into the garage and left my motorbike at her place and then took a grab car back to District 1. So I'm just kind of leaving my bike there. There's really no point. I'm not going to ride around in torrential downpours. That's just not fun. But there's grab car, so I have plenty of ways to transport myself. And I'm just kind of hunkered down here in my room anyway. I got these video projects going on. I'm working on the show, doing all kinds of stuff right here, so no reason to do a lot of leaving. Working with Orange Films now next door, Mr. Hui, super cool guy, become good friends with him. He's helping me to develop a couple of these video projects. So all kinds of new energy, new exciting stuff going on. Seeing Harry still all the time, he's doing his thing. COVID is not evident here in Vietnam. Have not had cases for several weeks. No deaths, nothing. Very quiet. I'm hoping that it stays this way. Because of the fact that COVID is non-existent, we shot our first episode of One Day in Vietnam at this place called Tranioli, which is kind of in the middle-ish of the country. Sand dunes and ocean and really this amazing Mongolian resort-style property. So we shot that thing there and I rode horses and did sea kayaking and got in some water with some koi fish, did all kinds of crazy stuff, super fun. I received the best compliment I could possibly receive from the cameraman who said, it looked like I'd done this a thousand times. Of course I hadn't, it's my first time, but I do feel comfortable as I feel comfortable in front of the mic with you. I feel like this has maybe been my calling the whole time, but it's never too late to do what you love and do what you think you do well. So just shy of 60, turning 59 next month, I'm ready to go. I feel as good, if not better than ever. I feel youthful. I feel energetic. I feel ready to take on things that would not present themselves to me in the States that are coming to fruition here. My dreams are certainly much more attainable here. I'm being very welcomed with open arms. I'm meeting amazing people and the dream just expands. So I'm gonna keep going. And I will include, of course, the Citizen 44 with Mark Ehrensberg podcast, even though they are not as frequent as previously. John Sabo's coming up next, show number 90. Show number 90. John is this very cool cat from Canada. He does a uh, video podcast all around the city here. I think he does it weekly. Check him out, John Sabo, S-A-B-O-E. And uh, let's start this one right now. Your butt. I'm getting old, 
looking at you i can't believe you're 75 years old phenomenal shape i mean other than your hernia shit you look fantastic i know you're a very youthful cat it takes a lot of energy to do what you do and part of that is keeping you young how you feeling man much better much better recovering pretty well okay so. i'm glad you're well in hand did you have some kind of surgery yeah i had major surgery i had a uh, hernia that uh, wrapped itself around my bowels like a boa constrictor and was cutting off my flow to my kidneys. So if I didn't have the operation that night, I probably would have died. Wow. Well, I'm glad that we're talking and that you are not a statistic. Yeah. You had to go in the ER? Went to the emergency room because I wasn't sure what the problem was. It had been there for a few years doing its thing. I was feeling lethargic, not having too much energy, that kind of stuff. So 
My family finally talked me into going into the hospital. I hate hospitals. And I got there none too soon, <laughs> according to what the surgeon said. He said, I wouldn't have made it till the next morning. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Aren't you a religious leader of sorts? Not so much anymore. I was on the worship team and that kind of thing for the Rock Church a few years back. I haven't been church-oriented in the last few years. Having real difficulties with uh, a lot of the evangels. I can't understand how you could be a Christian and relate to this gentleman that's in the White House. And I say that very loosely. Yeah. It's a difficult time for everybody. Yeah, for sure. My philosophy is I love everybody. I don't like everybody. I love America. I don't like America a lot of the time and for a lot of reasons. But it is even more extenuating in its difficulty right now. What is your take Aside from being black and being a male and being in Oregon, in a predominantly white state, what is your take on all that is going on right now? Because it seems like just everything is off the chains. Well, I've been here for over 70 years now on this planet, and it never ceases to amaze me the things that politically get stuff motivated and going. I'm just saddened by the whole thing. I believe that Black Lives Matter, but... I also believe everybody's life matters, and that upsets people to say stuff like that. But I think in order to get past real racism, there shouldn't be black Americans, Asian Americans, Native Americans. If you're born in America, you're either American or you're not. If you're born in China or Russia, you're Russian or you're Chinese. And as long as we're still arguing about things that occurred four or five, six hundred years ago, I do believe there should be some sort of reparations to people who have been abused through the years. Black folks, Native folks, I hate that terminology, Black Americans, Afro-Americans, all that stuff drives me crazy. I'm an American. I was born in America. So are you. Everyone that was born here is an American. And until they stop that, we're going to still have this divisiveness. Yeah. It hurts me to my heart to see that there's still officers out there that figure that the hammer is better than the olive branch when it comes to dealing with people of color. I'm not here saying that all people of color that stopped by the police are in the right either. However, the things that we've seen with our own eyes from even the federal occupation in Portland when it comes to people of color or people who are protesting it is a very aggressive police state that we have in America. If you put in a few agitators into any protest, you got a riot. Or you got shit disturbance, basically. And they've been using this program for a long time, too. Throwing in agitators into peaceful protests so the police have a reason to call it a riot and become aggressive. Yeah. This is old tactics. I believe the Russians did in the Russian Revolution. Chinese have been doing it for hundreds of years. Nothing new on that either. I'm just saddened by the whole thing. And the fact that we have, in my opinion, I thought George W. was the worst I had ever seen. This guy makes him look like John F. Kennedy. <laughs> I don't think we can do any worse. And if we can, I don't want to see it. That's for sure. I can't imagine it getting any worse than this. But I kind of look at this dude as the unknowing, unwitting Buddhist teacher that is firing up some inspiration to say that we need to fundamentally figure out what it is that we want collectively and do something else. Because he's just a product of Einstein's theory of insanity of doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And I'm asking you fundamentally, regardless of whether you're black, white, male or female, what do human beings, let alone Americans, need to do in order to shift some consciousness 
into some kind of mutual appreciation? What is it that we have to start doing to start getting us to act like grown-ups and not like a bunch of douchebags? There's really only one rule, whether it's the Bible or any place else, and that is to treat people the way you want to be treated. If we all follow that simple rule there, we would be better off. Yeah. You don't need a bunch of laws if you follow that rule. Treat me the way you want to be treated, with respect and dignity. And even if we have a difference of opinion, what I find out now is it just immediately goes to four-letter words. You're dumber than the horse that you rode in on. Because you don't believe the way I believe, so that makes you an idiot immediately. Until we get past all those little things there, we'll never get to the big picture because we're still squabbling over little stuff. Yeah, we're still acting like children because even from an evolutionary standpoint, we have not grown up yet. We're just not there. Well, you have people who are me, 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 I, 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 and there's no I in teamwork. And in order for this planet to actually survive, we're going to have to find a way to get along. You look at people's road rage. It's such an unnecessary reaction. So small, but we blow it out of proportion. What you've just touched on is something very important, which is because of our lack of emotional maturity and intelligence, we react versus respond. And that is a demonstration of this lack of being educated on self. We don't know ourselves. We don't know anything about being human. We do not prioritize the proper education of human beings in order for us to be able to think clearly, be more responsive versus reactive. Right. It's a big problem, and it plays out in every aspect of our life. It permeates absolutely everything. And I think the fact that we do not prioritize education, we are not developing human beings at a much higher level. We are going through this cycle of regurgitating garbage. Right. And until we decide that we are all equally important enough to impart the wisdom and the lessons and the knowledge necessary to avoid the unnecessary suffering that we have brought upon ourselves, until we decide to teach each other how to operate at a high level, we simply will not be able to do it. We don't even have any natural predators. We are our own worst enemy. Right. That's very true. No true words. We just have a lot of building to do or rethinking just the way we approach and talk to each other. Because right now, it's just a war. The United States is on the verge of an unprecedented civil war. I believe that if 45 is reelected, there's no doubt we're going to war. And on some levels, even if he's not, there's going to be an uproar about that too, especially with the way they're proposing to do the ballots. The post office is not equipped to handle that. I'm not sure what the solution to that problem is, but any thoughts on your behalf? I haven't voted in like 20 years. I'm ridiculed for it, and that's fine. I think not voting is a privilege. As an American citizen, just as much as voting is a privilege, I put stock in Einstein's theory of insanity. I think the machine is broken. It's self-evident. We need to do something different. We need to think differently. We need to act differently. And if we want something different to happen, we need to take different actions. And for me to continue to go down this road of futility and failure is foolishness, in my opinion. And I'm hard-pressed to convince other people, but as Aldous Huxley said, it's going to take 10% of the population to change the minds of the other 90%. And if we're only at about 1% of people who are thinking in a way that is going to tip the scales of perception and change the way we operate, 
We've got a long, long, long way to go. And maybe a civil uprising is the thing that is going to be a catalyst. I hate to see things go to violence because violence typically is not the answer to solve problems. But you can only push people so far. And if people are not willing to step back and take a look at other ways that we can approach problems and come to the bargaining table together, even when you look at movies, it's always portraying this emergency that brings everybody together. It's all temporary. We get together temporarily during an emergency and forget about time and our differences, but we seem to be regressing back to our caveman mentalities very quickly. Even COVID, I thought, would be perhaps one of these miracles out of catastrophe that would make us rethink our priorities and put us in a state of mind to reconsider what is important. But I knew deep down inside, as much hope as I have for humanity, I have no faith in us whatsoever. (laughs) We continually revert back to this douchebag thing. And I know we can do better. I have hope because I know for a fact that once we decide collectively to do something for each other, to have some mutual responsibility for each other, that it could be a super beautiful, amazing thing. But we're just not there. And it doesn't seem like we're even remotely close to there. I have friends in Ashland that say, we're on the verge of this shift. And it's like, you're out of your fucking mind. We are not on the verge of shit, except more shit. (laughs) And it's a great dream. But maybe we're going to have to implode in order for this beauty to emerge like a butterfly. We're going to have to go into this homeostasis or some other kind of metaphysical change for us to finally find the deep appreciation. Or all of us get into some fucking mushrooms, man, and see that this is just a two-dimensional shitty thing and see that we're not experiencing the whole multi-dimensional thing. I don't know, dude. I don't know what it's going to take, but it looks pretty bad, dude. Well... There's a book called Revelation, and if there's a book that I do believe, it's that one, because it kind of lays out what's going on right here, right now, with false information, false prophets. It basically tells you that we have to implode in order to get better. It describes the misery and the madness taking place that eventually turns into paradise at the end of it. We got to go through this, I guess, rebirth or new birth, like you said, I don't have a whole lot of faith in humanity either, except on certain things. Like you said, when there's a disaster or some sort of turmoil, we do get together for a few minutes and beautiful things come out of it. But like you said, by Monday morning comes around, everybody's back to their caveman mentality. People are back to me, 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 I, 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 as opposed to we. And until we learn to be on this planet together as we, We're all on the verge of not surviving. I think like a drug addict, we are going to have to hit rock bottom. This point of no return, we can't get any worse, that it can't go any further down. And we do start reaching up and we do start giving people a hand up and doing the work collectively necessary to get to this other place where there is actual harmony. The funny thing is, the work that really needs to be done is relatively easy. It's really just surrendering to how simple it is. If we put our heads together, I can't even imagine this world is unimaginable if we took the collective and put it to work. But we're so stubborn and competitive and so egocentric that we can't even see 
the potential of what is sitting right in front of us, which seems very simple to me. It's like really just a couple of clicks of the dial and you've got a whole nother outcome. Right. The Seinfeld opposite episode. If whatever you're doing in your life isn't working, if you do something different, and this is the universe, this is a fail-safe system put in place for us to protect us from ourselves. If you don't like what's going on in your life and you do something different, something different is going to happen. This is an automatic mechanism that's been put in place in order to take control of what it is we want to take control of. Even Alan Watts says, life does not push us around. We push life around, but we have to leverage the power that we have and do those things that offer us a different result. And if we're going to keep doing this stupid shit over and over again, we're going to get the same stupid shit result. It's like we never get tired of the same shitty movie. <laughs> that pretty much sums it up, brother. <laughs> I'm ready for the other movie, man. Instead of a Bill of Rights for one country or a constitution, we need the Human Bill of Rights. And that is just one thing. We don't even need the Ten Commandments. It's one thing. Treat people like right. you want to be treated. If we could just all agree on one fucking thing, one principle for being a human being, it's all kind of taken care of. But uh, you can't convince everybody of this, and I don't even know how to really do that, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, if Jesus Christ couldn't do it, my friend, I doubt very seriously either one of us. That is exactly what I'm talking about. What role models, honestly, and I've said this to my kids, I've said this to my parents in the past, can you just name one public figure you see on a regular basis that inspires others to do the things we're talking about? Can you think of one person in the media anywhere, and I'm not talking about the Dalai Lama because he's not popping his head up every week in a show and reminding us of what we need right. to do. What role models do we have in leadership to even want to take the steps necessary to change things? There have been very few through the years, for that matter. Who right now is preaching the gospel of love and life in a power position to influence people to at least consider, maybe not make the overall change, but get people thinking about the potential of making a change. Well, unfortunately for us, the man that was doing that, John Lewis, passed away, as you know, about a week ago. But he's the only one that came to my mind right off the bat. If you ask 100 Americans, I'll tell you right now, 89 of them don't even know who that man was. Which is shameful, but yes, that's very true. We know the history of a man like Jeffrey Epstein, but you don't know who John Lewis is. That's the imbalance of what we got going. You can hear about all these other horrible people, but anybody that's doing any good work, they're way, way back there, pushed down somewhere. You don't hear about those people. It's like trying to get good news. You're not going to find much on the internet or on TV or anywhere else. They're going to give you the slap in the face kind of news get your attention type of deal. Yeah. And unfortunately, as human beings, we are more interested in negative than we are positive results. <laughs> yeah. That's very sad that we do gravitate towards the negativity and the positivity. It lies in the cracks. It's like the flower growing through the crack of cement. It's there. There's a lot of amazing oh, things yeah. happening all over the world all the time, but it doesn't make the press. Well, the news is not the news that we grew up with. I remember in high school doing the print press. We were doing the local school paper, but we had to verify our information before we sent our information out. Nowadays, the news goes out. Somebody puts something out there. Then they come back five minutes later, tell you, no, that wasn't correct. We got to update this. No, that wasn't correct. 
we got to change that. So we're at a serious disadvantage as far as knowledge and what's really going on these days. And it's kind of designed that way, I believe. It's just a ball of confusion, like that Temptation song. The ball of confusion is what we're rolling with right now. Yeah. Where are you going to rely on your information from? It's like the virus thing. I've heard so many different things on this. Unless you're a doctor on the front lines or a nurse on the front lines, you don't really know what's going on with this thing. It changes daily. I know that the doctors or people like Dr. Fauci, people like him who are so-called experts, he doesn't even have a clue. So when you have the government coming up and telling you that they have a solution <laughs> to a problem that CDC and world-renowned doctors are telling you they don't have a clue as to what's going on, but you have this group of people over here telling you they have the solution to the problem, it's just got this country and so much, it actually has the world, it's a serious mess. Who are you going to believe? The Chinese? The American government? I don't believe any of the governments, personally. I don't know if that's your feeling or not, but I don't have much trust or faith in any of them at this point. I don't see any leadership coming out of anywhere. We cannot trust any authority. There is no authority. It's a real challenge for human beings because we rely on others. We are at such a disadvantage, which is by design, because it's easy to control an ignorant, sick, suffering population. Very easy to manipulate us. And it's been going on for who knows how long. Again, this is where it's necessary to be a self-governing, intelligent population who does not have codependency issues. Our codependency issues are what create our suffering. If we were more knowledgeable, if we were taught what we need to know, we wouldn't be so reliant on others, and the trust would be there because we need to trust ourselves first. The world is going to do what the world's going to do. All I can do and all you can do is do the best you can, raise our kids the best we can, equip them the best we can, and hope for the best. And the rest, there ain't shit you can do about it. Right. I enjoy the quality of my life, and I can only do what's right in front of me. Right. I can't worry about the world. My world is small. It's my community. It's my people. Like you, you're in a small community. Help those that you can help, and uh, those that cannot... Jesus pretty much said, if everybody's got to go, bye-bye. No problem. We right? can all just go. <laughs> just get the fuck out, and it's fine. It's not a problem. You're from New York? I'm from New York, yes. I'm Harlem. What year were you born? 44. Did you hear what you just said to me? 1944, yes. You know what show you're on? Do you know what the name of this show is? No. Citizen 44 with Mark Ahrensberg. Oh, wow. <laughs> you had me in mind even if you didn't know it. Well, that's what I'm talking about. So you were born in 1944, right at the end of World War II. Correct. Growing up in Harlem in the late 40s, early 50s, what was happening? Pretty much the same stuff that's going on now. I think Harlem's doing a lot better now, but when I grew up, it had just turned itself over from being a Jewish community, and they became the landlords for the Southern Blacks that were moving from the South, and that's how... Harlem became what it is today. We had police corruption back then. Racism was definitely abundant. That's what I'm saying. I've seen these acts before. I protested in the 60s, got my brains beat out a little bit. I know that the people in Harlem go through a renaissance every 10, 15 years, and I'm sure that it's a lot better now than it was 
just from the fact that people recognize it or see it differently than when I was growing up there. When I grew up there, it was the slums. Very few buildings <laughs> worth living in. Mainly slumlords owned the majority of the property. We still had people delivering ice by horse and buggies when I was a kid. What were your parents doing back then? Well, my real mother and father I didn't grow up with. I grew up with foster parents. And he was a veteran, and she was just a homemaker. He was blinded in World War II. And my stepmother was basically a housewife that did the maid stuff out in the suburbs. They'd go out and clean uh, houses out in Long Island for the rich white folks. <laughs> sort of like the Jeffersons, I guess. Did you know anything uh, about your birth parents? Not much about them at all. Okay. I'm wondering where your music came from. Music came from sneaking into the Apollo as a kid, watching the big shows. Count Basie, Diana Washington, Duke Ellington, Arthur Prysock. Those were my people that I listened to when I was growing up. Before James Brown and them, that was the crew that had Harlem jumping back in the day. Some of those people would even come to your schools and give lectures about being a musician. Anyway, I fell in love with music. Do you have brothers and sisters? I do from my birth parents, but they're scattered, have been scattered since I was young. Do you know much about them? No. And I left New York pretty early. I was pretty young when I disassociated myself from the family and went out on my own. I've been on my own since I was 15. You're sneaking in the Apollo. Music is your thing. When did you start really incorporating that into your life personally? I started going out jamming with people. I got lucky enough to run into people like Buddy Miles back in the day. Got to see Jimi Hendrix on occasion. Uh, him and Buddy were friends. I had a friend that played with Buddy that was a, a friend. So I had that small connection with those guys. And People kept telling me I needed to go out to the West Coast, go to Hollywood, become a rock star. <laughs> so I put a little group together, and we did what they called the Chitlin Circuit back in the day, playing up and down the East Coast for uh, basically booze and food. Back then, you'd be lucky if you got paid any real money, and sometimes the guys who were supposed to pay you wouldn't. So you had those kind of confrontations back in the day as well. Uh, I've had many physical confrontations with club owners <laughs> trying to get our money. <laughs> Were you the road manager as well? I've been in charge of my bands forever. So basically, yeah, I was. And I had my Harlem attitude to go along with it. Take no prisoners kind of mode, especially when it came to business. I wasn't the guy to mess with. So I didn't make a lot of friends back in the day uh, with club owners, especially the ones who were trying to rip you off. They did the same thing to James Brown, Ray Charles. They did it to everybody. If they could get away with it, they would. One of my best tours was with a young man by the name of B.B. King. We were opening for him. Uh, we were going across Canada, Vancouver to, I think, Quebec. And it was just a great experience. Night after night, he would call you up to jam with him. We shared the same dressing rooms. To me, still, not only a great musician, but he was a better man, I think. And I think anybody that ever met him would say the same thing. He was nothing but inspirational, warm, no pretense about who he was. What you saw was what you got. And he was like that 24-7. So whatever the beauty you see in BB, that was him. And he was one of the few people that I met that was genuine that way. You know how the music business is. It's a cold-blooded, dog-eat-dog 
backstab and two face, sort of like Hollywood. Your best friends, but they won't give you a phone call if they got something good going on. I've always tried to introduce people to other people or open up an avenue for them, and that's what B.B. King was. He was that kind of guy. You could ask Robert Cray and a whole bunch of musicians out there that had the privilege of touring with him. He's just one of the nicest, kindest souls ever on this planet. So if there was somebody I wanted to emulate, at least personality-wise, would have been, and still is, B.B. King. Albert Collins was another guy, beautiful man. The Iceman, he was very cool, treated me very well, took me under his wing. Charlie Musselwhite did as well. He even told me at the Monterey Bay Blues Festival last time I saw him, which is about 10, 12 years ago, that he couldn't remember basically anything from the past. I just went along with that, but uh, he helped me along the way. Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee, some other people. I was blessed to grow up when I grew up and to have the opportunity to meet so many really great musicians, good or bad personalities, because you learn from each person that you run into. Hopefully, if you're a human being, you're learning. And I learned things that I needed to do, and I learned there were things that I needed not to do. Never take yourself too seriously. Leave your ego at the door. And I'm not in competition with anyone, so I'm never jealous or envious of another musician. I wish them all the best. If you make it, I don't. That's the way it is. I'm good with that. I'm just trying to do the best I can do with what I got. Go with the flow. I'm about doing music and having a good time that way, sharing that with people. I like going into a club and shaking everyone's hands. You know, I've been blessed. I have a great partner now, Dave Story, you know him. Dave is a wonderful man. We've known each other for about 40 years down in Eureka, California. We have a great band these days. You know, unfortunately, we don't have places to perform, or we've chosen not to go out with the virus being the way it is. So what are you doing with your music right now? Are you writing or recording? Actually, I've been just recovering from my operation, and before that, I wasn't feeling well enough to do too much. So now I'm trying to... Uh, put a library of the music that I have recorded together. We have some songs that Dave and I are working on as well, writing. So I'm working on that kind of thing and just trying to get my health back. It's really cool that you figured out why you were listless and, and not feeling well. And now that's on the other side. Now you get better. It sounds like you get a whole new open door, new energy into uh, getting back into it. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty strong and looking forward to getting back into it. And it may come down to where we have to play music online, sort of like what we're doing with you and I right here. We might have to Zoom our way through to the next five or ten years. Who knows? So I'm looking into that. You've been in Oregon how long? I've been here now 12 years. But I was in California before that for 30-some-odd years. I was in L.A. at first. Kept moving north. Was hanging out in San Francisco playing Circle Star Theater and a few places like that, the orphanage, Fillmore, and wound up going to Eureka, California, managing a band called Pyramid, who the lead singer was engaged to Coke Escondido's daughter at the time, and he asked me if I would go on the road with these guys, so I decided to go on this trip. I wasn't doing anything in San Francisco, and uh, wound up in Eureka, California, and 
we had a disagreement with the band and myself about them signing a six-month contract at this one place. Just came from out of town, so nobody knows you. But when you stay in one place for six months, playing five or six nights a week, you're going to burn your crowd out. And that's what my argument was. You only want to sign a couple of weeks, a week here, a week there, move on, come back, but never stay in one place for six months. That's what I was trying to tell them. And so they disagreed. They signed the contract. I left them, joined a, a rock band, and turned them into a funk band. <laughs> they asked me, they said, what kind of music do you play? I said, funk and blues. They said, well, you're in the wrong town. <laughs> There's nothing here but country, western, and rock and roll. And I said, well, watch me. <laughs> and we became one of the best bands in that place for almost 30 years. I played with everybody. Tower Power, Etta James, all kinds of people. Sam and Dave, Maria Muldura, all kinds of people. Wound up leaving Eureka, going to Monterey, California. Stayed there for six years, I think. Played the Monterey Bay Blues Festival, was lucky enough to have some friends, a young man by the name of Doug Lanzaro and Lee Durley advocated for me down there. And I wound up playing there five or six years with all kinds of people as well. Like I said, I've been blessed how I got to Oregon. My second wife and I had been separated for 16 years. My stepdaughter saw me on uh, MySpace and said that uh, her mom was still interested in connecting up with me. So we talked and connected up, and the rest is history. It was a Monterey Blues Festival on a Sunday, and by Monday I was in Coquille, Oregon, which was a total culture shock to me. <laughs> there were two black people in the whole town. One was the sheriff, and the other was this pimp slash drug dealer. And people kept calling me either one or the other. I was either the sheriff or the drug dealer. <laughs> oh, that's brutal. I have a friend that jammed with this guy here in uh, Medford and told me about the jams at Four Daughters. And I wound up coming over for a visit. We were trying to figure out whether to move to Eugene or to move here. And actually had work in Eugene. She had work as well. My wife did. And we were on our way to doing that when we decided at the last minute to move to Medford, which I'm very happy that we did. Actually, I uh, like this place. I haven't had any problems here. I've played in all the venues around here, except for the Brit, of course, which doesn't do local musicians, really. Not like they should, anyway. They've had a bunch of people out of Ashland come through there? Well, very few and far between. I'm very surprised you have not been extended an invitation to play there. Well, I'm a little surprised myself. I've tried for years to get in there, and... Not even uh, kiss my butt. <laughs> wow. Now, I know you've played a bunch of green shows for the uh, Oregon Shakespeare yeah. Festival. I've done shows at the Criterion Theater, Camelot Theater. We just put on Motown there with uh, Rogue Suspects and sold out every single show. We did that for almost a month at the Camelot Theater, and they still want us back. I've seen you perform many times. You're really an amazing, gifted singer and performer and you always get the crowd going i always want to shake my ass every time i see you even if i'm taking pictures i'm shaking my ass while i'm taking pictures 
And I've actually taken a lot of amazing pictures of you and Dave and the band. And the Rogue Valley is very lucky to have had you to entertain us. I'm honored that I've had an opportunity to work with you on a, on a few different things. I appreciate that you are willing to come on my show. Oh, absolutely. Anytime. Bishop, I wish you all the best. And I love being a part of what you got going on. And Dave, I love Dave. He's such a great guy. Well, we appreciate you too, brother. And wish you nothing but the best. I had a great time. Thanks, brother. I did too. And I'm looking forward to sharing our conversation with my audience. Rest up, get that body back in check, and I'll check back with you soon. Okay, much love to you, brother. You too, Bishop. You okay? I'm in a weird mood today. Why so weird? I've been in class all day and it's got me like, ha 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 ha. The word is loopy. Yeah. Can we clarify the fact that you've not been in class, but you've been in your dorm staring at a class? It's being in class. I know, but it's not being in class. You're on your computer, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you've had class. You haven't been in class. It feels like I've been in class. Okay. Can, is it Zoom? Can you see other students? Not really. Most people keep their cameras off. So you really just see the professor and four extroverted folks who want their cameras on. And you're not one of them, I would imagine. No. Okay. Is it good to see other students while you're doing this or does it matter to you? It doesn't really. I mean, I guess it depends on the class. Like if it's a smaller class or it's more chatty and casual, then it's better. But if it's just a professor straight lecturing, it doesn't matter. So what was your last class? It was pretty chatty because it was our TA for my astronomy lab. So it was more casual. And that's like your favorite kooky class, right? Yeah. It's a lot of information, but it's the most interesting to me right now, which is weird because I thought I wouldn't like it at all. It is weird to me that you would like astronomy, too, because it would be one of those like, oh, poo-poo, there's no such thing, it's dumb, where's Galileo, bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. It gets really trippy, and I like it. What has been your like favorite piece of information that you have received from this class so far? I think about time. No other beings on the planet are obsessed with time like we are. Birds aren't like, oh, it's five o'clock, I should eat. Therefore, they don't fear it running out, which I think is kind of deep and nice to think about. Dogs don't fear running out of time or mortality or anything. They're just living. Right. And why don't we just live? Because we are obsessed with time. Right. So if we eliminated the concept of needing to be on time all the time, wouldn't we be more relaxed and maybe more amicable towards each other? Probably. But I think time's so ingrained that it's just how it is for us. You need to understand how time works in the universe to be able to understand the different concepts like light and mass and matter. Surprising. I guess I never realized that, but they're all super interrelated. I prejudge the class because it's labeled as PH, physics. So I was automatically like, oh no, it's a physics class. I'm going to hate this. <laughs> because physics in high school was one of my least favorite things I ever took. So I really was like, oh, this is gonna be rough. But it's much more like an astronomy view of physics than like a boring view of physics, which I would say my high school class was. 
Like, I like my teacher and everything, but it was very much a ball falls from this height and ends up at this velocity or whatever. Do some math about that. And I was like, I don't care about that ball and how these random forces act on it. Like, why are you making me do math about this? It's stupid. I just felt like it was dumb and frustrating because I'm already not necessarily as good at science and math, like naturally, like I have to work at it a little more. So when it wasn't interesting, I was like, why am I working so hard for this? But astronomy, this is how the planets work. And when you're looking up at the stars, you're looking back in time and crazy stuff like that. It's much more deep and fascinating. Oh, something really interesting, like a year feels different to people at different ages scientifically because a child who's two years old a year feels like forever because a year is half their life but for a person who's like in their 80s a year feels like summer vacation does to like a third grader because it's the same proportion of their life right so they actually perceive a year as being as short as an eight-year-old perceived the summer break is that why old people go, I was flying. Oh, that was a quick year. Yeah, it's only 2% of their life. Right. I love that you were confronted with the human created construct of time. Yeah. Which I'm fascinated by. I've spoken to many people about time. At first, they think I'm lying. People have this weird concept around the world that we live in that it came with these concepts, but nothing that we think, (laughs) feel, say, nothing is necessarily true. Mm -hmm. We've given it a reality based on our preference to identify with a concept and apply it to our lives. But there is nothing relative. We didn't come with an owner's manual. We didn't come with any book that describes a tree or a chair or time. It's all made up shit. We made up everything. Yeah. But not everybody can wrap their mind around that. The fact that everything is absolutely 100% made up. Yeah, it's trippy. It is. It's weird to think about. And we're taught from so little that all the things we've made up are the way things are. Politics, it's the way things are. This is how you tell time. This is the alphabet. We're not taught, oh, we made all this crap up. It's pretend. What if, in fact, we told the truth from the beginning when you are taught that none of it is real? We made this up. I think that's a little meta for five-year-olds. Well, it would have to be phrased in a way that would be more appropriate. Maybe the world would be unrecognizable now if people knew that they could make things up, that it was all made up, and that there was more flexibility in how they created their life. It doesn't have to be this pattern that's been set. You can do kind of whatever you want and create whatever you want and don't have to be stuck in this box that we created and give more latitude to human beings to be creative since we made it all up and created it. Why can't we have more ideas, more ways of creating and not be stuck with just these limited concepts? Because it is limiting. We have limited people by saying, you grow up, you go to college, you get married, you retire. If we tell people there are those limits, they accept those limits and live comfortably in the society we've created. Most people right now are not comfortable at all in that construct. But they accept that to be the norm, so they don't change it. And if we were to say none of that's real, 
they would no longer conform to the of our society. Well, it this, would be a real mess. Right. Well, isn't this what's happening in the world now? Everything is breaking down the reality of politics, the reality of our human health. The reality of everything is under a microscope right now. And this is kind of the clearest opportunity to take a look and see that what we've created is not necessarily in our best interest. And maybe there is opportunity here for change based on absolute necessity. Yeah, could be. How does that feel to you? What do you think about that? Because this is your generation now that is inheriting this world of garbage. And it's only garbage because of our perceptions and our actions. But if we changed both those things, we changed the world. I don't think it'll happen. Maybe I'm a pessimist, but I don't see it happening. Maybe not this final outcome of saving, as it were, but you can change your life completely however you want based on your actions and your perception, which means that it is changing. Even though you're looking at a final result, which is irrelevant because there doesn't need to be a final result, there only needs to be a shift in consciousness to change how things are right now because we only have today. So if you think differently about today, then things are going to be different. Who you think you are, how you fit in the realm of this existence, and what your actions are change your life? Yeah, I guess so. You can act differently to a certain extent, but you still have to live within the society that we've created. There's no feasible way not to. Like, you'll go live in the woods, then you won't be part of society, but, like, you still will. There's no way out of it. So you can change yourself all you want, but to change society, there would need to be a more massive change. You just said it. That's it. You can change yourself. That's all evolution is. More selves changing. So if you change yourself, have children, and they're different because of the self that you changed, that is evolution. That is how we change the world. Is that your only class today? No. I've had three classes today. What were your other two classes? I had infant and child development this morning. How was that? Okay. We don't have that many quote-unquote in-person meetings, so usually she just records our lectures and then we just watch them on our own time. Do you see this whole way of schooling as a uh, sense of permanence? Mm, Yeah, I guess so. They already announced that that's what they're doing for winter term, so. Yeah, because based on things and stuff, it seems like there would not be a time soon when this would revert back to what we perceive as normal ways of teaching. Yeah, some people think that maybe for our spring term, they might not go fully in person, but just introduce back some more in person Hmm. because hopefully there will be the vaccine by then, but I don't know, we'll see. What about sports? Football's going on, I think. Sports are going on? Yeah. Based on the whole concept around social distancing? Yeah, I think it's dumb, but whatever. I don't know if people can go to them or not. I don't think so, but they're playing, I think. I don't know. They sent emails about it, but I didn't read them. I don't really care. Right. You're known more for your baseball program than football or basketball, correct? Well, we're pretty good at basketball. We're very good at baseball, apparently. Like, excellent. And then we're crap at football. Crap. Football crap. Is, is what I've heard. Oregon is a duck state, not a beaver state. Okay, in baseball, we're a beaver state. Okay, so. okay, that may be. Isn't... Thanks. America's pastime. Isn't... Thanks. 
past, as in not anymore, football now, pastime, old time, right. Have you been to a baseball game? Nope. Okay. Well, we couldn't because the baseball season's in spring, and last spring was when COVID hit. Oh, that's right. That was your first year, so you could not have attended a baseball game. Yeah, I've never been to one. Oh. There's never been able to be one. Yeah. I wanted to go, though. I've heard it's really exciting because we actually win. Yeah. <laughs> so what was your other class? Abnormal psychology. How was that? It was okay. This was only our second lecture, so we haven't gotten into like the good stuff yet. It's not. Let's talk about psychological disorders. Is there a picture a of, of Donald it. Trump on screen as you open that class up? No. <laughs> that would be funny, though. You know, they're calling him 45. There's people that will not even refer to him by his name. Only 45. Fair enough. The last time people were interested in some kind of a personable relationship with their leader was number 44. Yeah, he was a nice guy. He was a nice guy. Even though maybe in the background he was doing some crazy shit too. At least he was not yeah. outwardly insane. Yeah, and it seemed like he cared about the health of the country in general. Yeah. yeah. I would say he was the opposite of what is currently happening. Every conceivable way. Right. What else is going on over there in Corvallis, Oregon? I think I'm watching them test the sewer line right now. Fun. They just opened the manhole and they're like pulling crap out of it. Oh, nice. Are they using their hands? Yes. Are they wearing gloves? Yes, obviously. Are they wearing masks? Yes, oh. they are. Okay. I mean, I don't know if that's what they're doing. I just guess because they do that once a week. Ah. They take a sample of it and test it for COVID. Oh, 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 oh. What are they pulling out of there? Wastewater. Shit. Oh. And if there's prevalence, then they test everyone in the building. And was that for your building? Right now, I think it might be mine. So what time is it there in Oregonia? Uh, 5.04. Ah, 5.04. 7.04 in the a.m. here. 5.04 in the yeah. p.m. day before the day here. Yeah. So are you done with classes for the day? Yeah. Most classes don't go past 5 o'clock. Some do, but most do not. Okay. Are you walking to do something specific right now? No, I'm in my room. Well, you're walking around in circles? Yeah, every single time I talk on the phone, I wander. Maybe have a treadmill in your room and you can exercise while you're talking. Oh, you're a runner person. Have you gone back out again and yeah. done that? Not yet. I'm planning on going tomorrow because I only have one class. So do you only have three classes total? Yep. Semester light this year. Yeah, I was going to maybe add a class, but then I was like, screw it. You know, I don't want to. Right. Loving it. You no longer have a roommate. How's that going now? Any better for you? Are you adjusting? I'm adjusting, I suppose. More good days than bad days? Yeah, that's accurate. That's good. And can you apply mm -hmm. any of your previous psychological training in school to your current situation whereby you can take notice of certain behaviors, perhaps, and be able to identify them clinically and know how to respond more appropriately. I guess. What do you mean, I guess? That is not an answer. <laughs> yes, I suppose I can. But have you? Have you been able to look at, we talk about the witness, I told you about that, how to leverage your own being. Yeah. Have you been able to be the witness to yourself and make adjustments so you can live a better, happier, more peaceful life as the person that you are? Yeah. 
Okay. How does that feel to be in more control where you can identify, adjust, and reap the rewards of that behavior adjustment? Good. It's solid. It's solid and good. Okay. Well, I'm just curious because you're in school. You are taking classes. You did take a psychology class last semester, right? No. I took one the term before that and one the term before that. Okay. So do those lessons sit back there in your brain and pop out? Do they go, oh, I recognize that scenario and this is what that is and how that can be does do that or no? Sometimes. But most of what we learned in those classes, they're like the introductory courses. So they're a little bit less specific. Like it's a broad overview of everything rather than specifics in anything. Let me ask you this. Based on your time at school that you've had thus Mm -hmm. far, how valuable or how much of your learning have you been able to use in your personal life? I'm just curious as to the value of your education thus far and if it's played any role in practicality for you. I would say psychology has been some of the most useful, even if I can't always apply stuff I've learned yet specifically to myself, I can usually apply it to other things in the world and people around me. So I would say that's been one of the most useful classes, along with, I would say, some of my education classes, just because that's the field that interests me, obviously. And then history class, interestingly enough, has been pretty applicable. You've gravitated towards history professors and teachers in your past in a different way than your other classes, have you not? Yeah, and social studies in general, like history, government, English, language arts, that kind of thing is usually my preference. So I guess it makes sense why I find those things the most valuable. Even your instructors, you've gravitated towards those personalities, even those people more than your other teachers. Yeah, I usually find them to be more enthusiastic and have more personality in general, I feel like, than some of my other professors and teachers in other subjects. They can be just as nice and decent people, but they might not necessarily grab my attention or be as interesting. Maybe they have more passion about what they're doing. Maybe. That might be true. I could see that. I feel like often history-type teachers are very passionate people. They have convictions and thoughts and opinions, and they're excited to tell you them. Yeah. Where are you on office, ladies? Business school. It's a good one. I'm liking it. Oh, you haven't finished it. You don't listen to them all in one shot? No. I was when I was re-listening to them, but now that I'm down to new ones, I like to savor them. I don't like it when I run out of them. We only have one left. I know. Well, there's one coming out today. What's the one that's left right now? Cocktails. Which one was that? It's the one where they go to David Wallace's house. The big party. How many times have you watched it all the way through now? The Office? Yeah, The Office. Let's see. At least once a year since I was 11. So between 10 and 30 times. Wow. I would say at least 15 is how many times I've seen it. And it's nine years. How many episodes total for the nine years? 200 episodes? A little over 200. It's like 202. It was going to be 200 and then they added And each episode is, shall we say, 20 minutes at least? Yeah, except there's probably 10 to 15 that are 40 minutes over the whole thing. So there's probably about 4,000 hours. 
per time. Times 15, yeah. 30, 45. Since I was 11. It's not like since I was I like I understand like that. I'm year. still doing the math because it's still math. It doesn't matter okay. when it is, how it was. It's like 60,000 hours. I'm, of just, I'm just like justifying it a little bit. Speaking of, look what I have here. Insane. Look at that. Ooh, that's an interesting cover. You like that? It's spicy. Yeah. Scary. I like it. Yeah. But I like mine better. I don't remember the original Goblet of Fire art on the hardcover book. It's Harry's face, young, so it's cute. And there's a goblet near him. He's smiling. And then in the background, all around the cover, are details from the book, like the dragon and the different people who compete, like Fleur is on it and Cedric and Crumb. Okay, who said this yeah. quote? It matters not what someone is born, but what they grow to be. I feel like it's probably Dumbledore. That is correct. It's on the back of the book. Yeah, he says all the dramatic stuff about life. I like Dumbledore, but some people who read Harry Potter hate him because they believe that he should have given Harry more information and basically left him to do crazy crap. He wasn't the best adult mentor for Harry. Dumbledore is like the nicest look up to kind of guy. Can we all agree on Mr. Rogers? People hate Mr. Rogers. What? We watched the documentary together where people were like protesting him after his death. You cried. Do you not remember this? I guess. They were protesting him because some people thought he was gay and hated him. And then other people hated his message of tolerance. Oh, yeah. Okay. And they had their children do it. It was in the documentary. You know what? We cannot win. You just said it all. There's not one person that everyone loves because the world's a mess. Okay, well, there you go. Oh, man, we are fucked. (laughs) I know. (sighs) Well, at least you and I are enjoying ourselves, and really, that's all that matters. So, there you go. (laughs) Screw it. I make the show for you and me. Yeah. You don't even listen to the show, so I guess I just really make it for me. I only listen to it if I'm not in it. You have not listened to every show. I guarantee it. If I'm in it, I definitely won't listen to it. If I'm not in it, I might. You're listening to it right now. So you're actually listening to the show, listening to you. So there we go. There you go. Just speak in the truth, Dad. I'm all about the truth. I like the truth. Sometimes it's not too pretty. What are you going to do now? I'm going to microwave my dinner. Okay. I love you. Love you too. Have a great rest of your night. Enjoy your calzone. And look up the Calzone episode of Seinfeld. I think you would enjoy it. I will Google it. Okay. Love you, baby. Love you, too. Okay, bye, sailor. See ya. Bye.
eyes, your eyes, your eyes Know I'm feeling it too Lover's touch A tender feel When I hold your hand in mine Time stands still To my eyes, tell me what you see. Tell me, do you see the man that I am? Or do you see the man that I want to be? Or do you see the man I might have been? See through my disguise and the secrets and the lies will let you know what you hear in my voice. Do you hear the truth? Do you hear the knowledge? You know that I want more. Do you hear the truth when you hear me say it's easy to recognize? Try to understand, I want to be your man. And I want to make it right this time Instead of oh, 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 oh. Instead of oh, 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 oh. Do I know you? Do I know you? Do I know you? And do you
show i hope you enjoyed it i want to thank bishop for coming on and talking about his uh recent battle with his health crazy and certainly appreciate his input from his unique perspective on what's going on in the ununited states of america it's great to check in with my dad super glad that he is uh fairly healthy right now and doing his thing and reconnecting with his people it's really great awesome awesome awesomeness 
to have a little discussion with my daughter Zozo, the Zoe Bear, the Zoster, my Daja. I love chatting with her. Love that we could do the video chat while she's at school, stay connected. She's just an awesome lady, and uh, I'm happy that she is doing her thing and staying the course of being her, staying true to herself. Or as she says, Dad, you just do you. Do you, Dad. Anyway, super fun to talk to her and uh, fun to get back in the show. It's been, like I said, a little while, but uh, I'm back doing it. Got plenty of people to talk to. Like I said, coming up next, John Sabot, show number 90. Should be super fun. Still here in Vietnam, almost nine months. Could have had a baby in this time myself. I guess not. Having a good time. Great people here. It's all good. The food, the weather, people's attitudes, the opportunities. I see nothing wrong. I think this may be the most happening city in the world right now. Certainly in Asia, for sure. Saigon is where it's going on. And that's where I'm staying, right here in Saigon. I ain't going no place no time soon that I could possibly imagine, other than perhaps traveling around the country with the show One Day in Vietnam, which will be great. It's great. It's the greatest show ever. It's better than being president. It's a great show. I wish you could be on my show. This is the greatest show you'll ever see. There's nobody who's ever done this show so good, as good as me. I am the greatest showman in show 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 citizen 44 with mark Ahrensberg is a listener supported presentation you can listen to all the shows on Castbox, stitcher and itunes i'm reminded every time i make the show how much i love making the show it's super fun do what you want to do if you're not doing what you want to do change what you're doing and do what you want to do because this is it folks That's why I'm here in Saigon, Vietnam. I'm doing what I want to do, and I'm getting the results that I want based on my willingness to do it, to just go get it. Okay, we'll see you for show number 90 with John Sabot. As always, thanks so much for listening. Take care. Bye-bye. This show is produced, engineered, mixed, edited, recorded, and presented to you by... Mark Ahrensberg. The song Departure Family at the end of each show is by Lucky Doug Fergus. Thank you, Sam, Zoe, and Val. Whatever you're doing is not working. There's one way you can change that, and that's to change what you do, 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 change what you do. Yes. I am Citizen 44.
but just to love each other before it is too late. We wear different clothes, eat different foods, and speak in many different ways. But under the skin, we're all the same, through and beyond all our days. Sponsored by Luna Sushi. 
Ho Chi Minh City's number one sushi delivery restaurant. Incredible, I actually live above the restaurant. They deliver to all districts and I've got to tell you, the food is excellent. It's as good a quality of sushi as anything I've had in the States or here in Ho Chi Minh City. The menu's vast, it's delicious. Luna Sushi, lunasushi.com.